Good morning. You can tell a lot about a culture, the way they complete this sentence. Blessed are the way the blank is filled in communicates a lot about what a person or a culture values. So we might think about what how we would fill in the blank. Blessed are the interesting question, how would God fill in the blank? Fortunately, we don't have to guess at that. Jesus came to earth and revealed God's values, and he filled in the blank this way. Join with me. Matthew 5, let me read verses 3 through 10. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The blessed. Jesus' description of the blessed is surprising. The blessed are not those whom we would have imagined. And when we put these words in context, they really don't seem to fit. Jesus has been involved in a healing campaign. Paralytics, epileptics, the demon-possessed are coming from as far as 85 miles away to be healed by Jesus. And he is healing them without effort and without exception. And there are Gasps of joy and cries of delight. All heaven is breaking loose. And against the background, Jesus pulls his followers aside. He leads them to this place, to a mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And there he tells them that the blessed are not the freshly healed. He tells them that the blessed are the desperately dependent. When you think about it, it might not make sense in the context, but when you extend the context a little bit, it does make sense. Here's what we know. Each and every one of those who was healed by Jesus went on to experience painful things that Jesus did not heal them from. How do we know that? They all died. Each one of them. I wonder how many made trips back to the place where Jesus healed them. I wonder if any did. I wonder if they made annual pilgrimages to those places. Maybe they took some of the soil, picked up some of the rocks, brought it home with them. They longed to experience that power again. They wanted to experience God again. The point here, and what Jesus will say, is not that we should run toward pain or even pray that God gives it to us. That's not the point. There is encouragement not to run from pain, though. Not to run from pain. We naturally associate the presence of God with the absence of pain. Natural to associate the presence of God with supernatural occasions of healing. 
to associate the presence of God with mood-altering experiences that transport us outside our confusion and discomfort. And when we experience those things, maybe it's an emotional experience. God was in that place. I felt him. How did you feel him? I felt a joy. I felt a tingling. I was healed. Uh, There are those who insist that when God shows up, there is healing and euphoria, laughter and lightness and mood-altering relief. And I think that God does do those things. Interesting, though, that God leads his followers in this case. He leads them from the healing place. And he brings them to this mountain. And to a place removed from the place of healing. And this is a place where he tells them the place where God will meet them is in mourning, meekness, poverty of spirit, hunger and thirst, being merciful, peacemakers, persecuted. Place where earthly pain is embraced by heavenly is embraced by heavenly comfort. This is a place Jesus lived, and he invites us to join him there. And again, his point is not run towards pain. That's not his point. Jesus is not a sadist or a masochist. And you don't have to pray for it, please. Don't pray, oh God, I pray that you give me pain. It'll come. You don't have to ask him for it. What he says is, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The persecuted, to be persecuted, the word is to be chased, pursued, and harassed. To be persecuted is to be hunted. It's to have circumstances and things chase after you, and you're running away from them. You ever have those dreams? You've had those dreams, haven't you? Where somebody's running after you, and it, and you can't move. Isn't that the frustrating? Doesn't it? It just kill you. You want to go, and then your your leg, it's like running through. It's like soup. Like There's like these woolen threads around your legs, and, and it's coming fast. Oh, maybe you've had this dream, and you can't get away. And that's to be persecuted is to be chased like that. And what is pursuing you? When it catches you, it's going to hurt, and you can't get away fast enough. That's what it means to be persecuted at the time. Matthew wrote this account of Jesus' life, his gospel. Nero was rising to power in Rome. At the same time, Matthew writes this. He would conduct a 14-year reign of terror against followers of Christ, and he would use Christians as flaming torches and gladiator fodder. Um, physical persecution, however, is not the only persecution Jesus warns his followers about. And you might argue it's not the main one. Look what it says. Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus associates persecution with insults and evil things falsely said, gossip, insults, and slander. The damage inflicted when words become weapons. You've heard the illustration like that. It's, it must be popular because it's ascribed. I've seen versions of it ascribed 
when the, the person that the person goes to is a priest, a rabbi, a shaman. So it must be one of these illustrations that all kinds of religious organizations claim for their own. I've heard it ascribed to a village priest. A while ago, a man spreads gossip about a neighbor, goes to the village priest and says, what should I do? The village priest says, okay, this is what I want you to do. Take a feather and in every doorway of the village, place this feather. And he did that. He did that and then came back to the priest and then, then he said, now what should I do? And the priest said, go pick up the feathers. So he did that, and he tried to do that, but he went to every doorway and every threshold, and there weren't feathers there. They were floating all around. He went back to the priest and said, I can't get the feathers. And he said, neither can you take your words back. There's forgiveness, but you cannot undo the damage that the insults, the things falsely said, because now they are spreading, and you can't get them back. Hmm. Uh, these are the kind of the, and, and the place where when Jesus says to his followers on this mountain, telling them that blessed are the persecuted, those against whom there's physical and verbal assaults, the place where this will happen, as it turns out, is religious contexts. When people are being persecuted in the Bible, it's usually in church. And it's when we think of the world, we end up thinking of the world as the world outside the church, but the world that, that was most harmful to the ones Jesus is talking to was the church. And it's a place where, in the name of all kinds of things, things are said about other people and that are spread about other people. We're just sharing, and, and in that, people are harmed. Um, Jesus warns his, his disciples that they would feel the stab of words close to home. Listen to what he said to them. This is uh, in Matthew 10, a few chapters after the account of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells them in verse 34, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came, I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Um, what Jesus seems to tell them, not in this discussion, but in a subsequent discussion, they would feel the sword, the pierce of stinging words in their home. Fathers against sons, mothers against daughters, mother-in-laws against daughter-in-laws. And a man's enemies and members of his own household, he said that you will feel the sting in places that you wouldn't expect it. Not at the bank, not in the marketplace, but in the church and in your home. Um, but he also says that those who have been insulted and persecuted will be targeted for special rewards when they get to heaven. There will be rewards linked directly to insults exposed to because of a desire to walk with him. I think what he indicates it will be heard, I'm not sure with these words, you tried to be an authentic follower of mine, and they talked behind your back, made you feel badly about yourself, your decision to walk with me. I haven't forgotten. I have a reward for you. 
enter into the joy of heaven. God keeps track. God keeps track. So although we can't get the feathers back, and some of you have had feathers that were dispersed against you, and words against you that you can't get back. God will balance the scales. And on the far side, he remembers the feathers. He knows where they landed, is aware of them. And it seems to indicate that to those against whom feathers were dispersed because of righteousness that God will say, I know. And there's reward because of what you've endured. Persecution is linked not only with heavenly rewards, it's linked with earthly impact. Um, Paul was subjected to harsh criticism in Corinth. He was uh, attacked by those seeking to discredit him. And they used Paul's history of being persecuted against him. They suggested that when God speaks through a person, God gives that person preferential treatment. God insulates that person from harm. You know, that makes sense, right? So if God is the one that is your employer, that he would protect his employees, his spokesmen, from being criticized and persecuted. That's what these individuals are saying to the Christians in Corinth that Paul had spoken to. He had been in Corinth and had poured out his life and experienced all kinds of things. And he left and individuals came on his heels and they said, boy, Paul really was a mess, wasn't he? Yeah, boy, boy there's, a guy. there's a guy that looks like 20 miles of Baton Road. <laughs> yeah, and he claims to be a spokesman of God. Isn't that right? Paul, spokesman of God, representative. Boy, you'd imagine, wouldn't you? That God would protect his own, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? Doesn't look like God protected Paul, did it? Hmm. I wonder if he really was a spokesperson. Now, by contrast, they would say, look at me. I've got letters of recommendation. I've got credentials. I could tell you about visions. I haven't been mistreated. In fact, I am... Hmm. Hmm. Um, and you know what? It worked. And these individuals for whom Paul bled, they started to look at him. You know what? That makes sense. I wonder if that's true. And what Paul does, he writes a letter, and he flatly disagrees. I'm going to share one text. JC's going to come up in a minute and share the other. In 2 Corinthians, it's the most autobiographical of the letters Paul writes. And in it, we have, we're able to look into his heart. Here's what he says. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 10. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ. Let me, I'm sorry, I started a little early. Let me start with verse 5. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, 
but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal body. A jar of clay was a common vessel used in those days. It was an everyday container. It's something like a plastic container. It's not something that you had to be careful with. It was plastic. In that day, it was clay. It was a clay jar. You know, and you put clay jar next to the door. I hit it. Oh, boy, I'm sorry. No, it's not, it's just a clay jar. Okay, that's fine. And what he's saying is um, God transmits the message in jars of clay. I've said talked about this before. I think of Thanksgiving and Christmas time. Um, there are dishes you use every day. And then there are the dishes you drag out at Thanksgiving time and at Christmas time. And in our house, the good dishes went in the hutch. They didn't go into the cabinet. They went into the hutch. And what ends up happening, they, they came out of the hutch once or twice a year, were given preferential treatment. Um, not that I was clumsy. Mike, be careful. Those are my good dishes. And so uh, once the meal is over, they are carefully washed. Are they put into the dishwasher? Absolutely not. They are washed by hand, and then they're returned to the hutch. And so Paul says that God's best, best spokespersons are not tucked safely away in a hutch. They're put in places where they can get bumped and bruised. And you think because they're not put in a hutch, that's a indication of their value that if you really are a spokesperson God insulates you from harm that's what these people are telling the Christians in Corinth and they're buying it but what Paul says it's not the way it works and he talks about um, what jar of clay treatment is like and he uses four words hard pressed hard pressed means to be squeezed or crowded both externally and internally it means that you can't get away from pointing fingers or wagging heads. And neither can you, when the door is closed, get away from the internal pressure. You're hard-pressed. That's what that means. Perplex is to be puzzled, at a loss, to wonder, to hesitate, to be at a stand and to not know which way to turn. That's what it means to be perplexed. No way out. I don't know what to do. I... I I've got people following me. I'm being pursued. I'm at this crossroads. I have no idea which way to turn. I'm completely puzzled. I don't have a clear idea about the future. That's what a jar of clay treatment is. You know, if you're not a jar of clay, if you're a container that goes in the hutch, then you're never chased. You always know God's will. That's not what Paul understood. He's perplexed. Persecuted means systematically oppressed and harassed, to be chased, put to flight. You're persecuted when somebody's running after you and you have something to run away from because you're not going to be able to stand up and fight that person. That's what it means to be persecuted, to be chased. And you see somebody coming and you run. Struck down means to be thrown to the ground. 
be down. Maybe not out, but down. Um, and that's what a jar of clay treatment is. And those to and through whom God will display and transmit his message are those who are treated as jars of clay. They are the hard-pressed, the perplexed, the persecuted, the struck down, but they're not. They're down but not out. They're persecuted, but they're not destroyed. They're perplexed, but they're not in despair. They're hard-pressed, but they're not forsaken. Naturals believe that the best representatives of the good news are those who claim that their nearness of God enables them to live above the level of difficulties, above the level of painful emotions and struggles that to be called by God is to be able to live in the healing place. Natural to believe that the best spokespersons for God is someone very shiny. JC is going to come up and Paul gives us a very, very different picture. Good. All right. Before I like um, promote Paul, I should probably get rid of my boasting, which is my daughter was on the conference winning championship team last night. I'm just saying. Automatic bid to the national tournament. I'm just saying. I got that off my chest. We can we can get to it. I always got to be a, a wise guy. That's just how I am. So use that against me. Go ahead. Second Corinthians, one of my favorite verses. Second Corinthians 12. It's an interesting verse. Some people say it's the most powerful one-liner in the, in the New Testament. Here's what Paul says later in the book of Corinthians. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I got a question for you. Paul is writing this book as an invitation to teach us about what it means to be someone called to grace bust, to be a grace buster, and to 
or I should say to be a law buster and to promote the message of grace. And he's saying, for real, you want to go with me? For real. Do you understand why I'm asking you to go? And and like the people at the mountain, I think the people when Jesus was preaching, they came to get the magic and the incantations. They came to get the power and the protection that goes with right standing with the Father. That's what they thought. Jesus' first word was, blessed are you who are poor. And I think some people started saying, no, dude, that, that, that wasn't what I came here for, man. I didn't come here to have empty pockets. When I came here to get my pockets full, then he said something really funny. Blessed are they who mourn. See, that first one presumes a loss in the second one. And he starts to go down the list. He ends the list with blessed are the persecuted. See, I'm thinking people starting to walk away. Like, dude, really? I came here to get the give the deal. And you you really telling me this ain't the easy road. So Paul picks it up and, and I, I love what Mike's saying. So he's in the middle of a battle. I got a question for you. Why would you boast in the qualities that disqualify you from ministry? See, don't don't see this as all you know the 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 the, the, the the people who are battling with Paul were just making stuff up. And if Paul just stood strong in God, though, he would be proven right. No, they were saying stuff that was true about Paul. I want you to think about this. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask five of you to hurl insults at me. Five of you. Now, that's going to be brave because if you say the wrong thing, you're going to have to answer for it later after the service. <laughs> Not really. But I'm asked five of you. I'm a minister of grace here at Hope. Some of you have heard me for a long time. Give me five accusations. And don't make them up. You don't have to. I put my business in the street. So give me five. I'm going to start with you, Randy. Give me one. If you were going to talk against my ministry, what would you say? I don't think you're handling it perfectly. Oh, come on, dude. Yeah. You just went right to the deal, dude. Okay. All right. He said, I don't think your family's perfect, do they? Are they? Okay. I need four more. Go ahead, Jay. Ooh. <laughs> I shouldn't ask y'all nothing, dude. <laughs> For real. For real. All right. I need three more. Come on. Don't be punks. Come on. I'm asking you to do this. There you go. There we go. You said I said do it a lot. Yeah, you go. Okay. I thought you said you said do it a lot. I'm like, wait a minute, man. Okay, good. You're right. You're right. That ain't polished and professional, is it? I say do too much. Okay. All right. Two more. Okay. Okay. Why you got to talk trash like that? What you say? You got something to say? Let's go out here. Let's go out. Let's go out here. I got something for you. One more. Oh man. Oh, we going to go race now. That's how we going to go. Cuz it's just two of us up in here. You going to talk about us like that. Okay. Okay. 
Now, here's, here, here's, here's, here's the thing. Everything that was said is true. Why would I boast in that? Why would I use that as a qualification? So you got to understand what Paul's doing. Paul's not saying that I was falsely accused by the, the, the assaulters who's trying to take over my church. He was, he was saying, look, dude, out of darkness comes the, the glory of grace. Go ahead, bring it, dude. Everything you say is true, and yet the gospel message is promoted and prospers. Mess with that, dude. Mess with that. That's what he's saying. Bring it, dude. Everything you can say, come at me with it. I'm just telling you, I'm not here representing me. I'm representing the Father. And out of the darkness of whatever you've just said about me, check my record, dude. The gospel is still going out. And people are believing in the grace of God, in the face of your accusation, you cannot get them to turn their, their nose down on the Father. That's what he's saying. That's crazy. So I started backwards. So Paul says, I delight. He didn't say, it's okay to have weaknesses. <laughs> he said, I Delight, and the word in Greek for delight is the same. Delight. He's like, bring it. I got all kinds of darkness, and guess what? God didn't clear that all out. He's also saying that is God invested in vacuum, vacuum cleaning our souls? He's not. He's not. See, the other guys were saying, "Hey, man, we're vacuum cleaned out. Come look for the dust. There ain't none." Paul's saying, man, I got maggots and roaches and all kinds of stuff walking around to me, man. Deal. But that's not what God's focused on. Connection to the Father. So let's start at the beginning. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna highlight a couple things and then shut up. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Oh, see, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. See, y'all don't understand, though. I love that action, though. You don't even understand. You're just feeding the beast when you do that. He says, I've been given a thorn of the flesh. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's written about what this means. I'm going to propose three things that I think could be true. It could be true that Paul had a speech impediment. Or some sort of eye infirmity that could be true that would make him look like roadkill when he showed up. He wrote, writes these beautiful letters and then he shows up in his eyes. And they're like, that's Paul, dude? Really? Like, this is the saggy eye dude. With the, or maybe he was cross eyed, one of them dudes. Like, you know, the dudes where it has one eye you have to do this with? Maybe he was one of those. I don't know. Maybe he was a patch eye dude. I don't know. Or, or, or something, it could mean that, that he has some sort of disease, or, 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 or he delivered ministry like, 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 like this, this. And people's like, man, no, you can't even understand what he's saying, man. I don't know. That's one. The second thing that probably could and may have been true when he says thorn is there was challenges to his ministry. There were people out there who were opposed 
to the gospel of grace. See, the, the gospel of grace is a dangerous system. When you start to preach grace in a religious system, people start to want to kill you because it wrecks business. If, if faith is about, if religion is about the business, actually, I said this quiet, I didn't even look at y'all. Making money, making money, growing, growing your congregation, keeping them enslaved to the money, paying the minister. If, if that's religious system, keeping the religious righteousness people fat, then the, the message of grace cuts that in half. And if you're preaching grace and you're saying you can come to God for free and your position in your, in your life position doesn't merit you status, you're dead. You're dead. They're going to take you out some kind of way. Okay. Thirdly, thirdly, this this is loosely meant by Thorn, but I see how it could be. Could it be that Paul had some sort of personal temptation, some sort of addiction, some sort of issue in his life that disqualified him, or that somebody, a couple people knew about? Oh, did you know Paul? Did you did you know Paul? Did you know he was whatever it is? Thorn. I call them this thorns of blessing. You got some thorns. You, you you got some diseases, some infirmities internally that mess with you. That 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 won't go away. You have some people that talk bad about you or don't agree with you. Don't stand in the same emotional or spiritual or political position you stand in? Or do some of you have issues? Termites in your soup that you kind of don't want nobody to know about. Those are all thorns. And Paul says, I was given a thorn. Much is made about the messenger of Satan. I'm not going to make a bunch about that. Here's what I want you to see. What do you do with the thorn? Most of us try to battle thorns on our own power. No matter what it is. Personal disease, I'm going to every doctor I can trying to get rid of it. Difference of opinion, I'm studying up so I can take you on. Addiction, I'm going to try to secretly manage myself while it kicks my butt. Temptation, I'm going to try to avoid sacrifice or whatever to stay away from it. I'm running from it. Those who understand grace, who understand empty pockets, who understand the front end of the Beatitudes, go to the Father. The scripture says Paul three times pleaded. Now, I'm not sure that word three has a whole lot to do with how many times it went, but it's for emphasis. Paul went to the Father on a number of occasions. He didn't say, Dear Lord, thank you for the affliction. 
I love the ministry. Thank you. Continue to have them assault me as they have. He didn't say that. He said, God, hey, man, could you stop this? Like, it is discrediting me, dude. Stop it. Could you, like, do something? And he went a number of times. Any of you ever pray for something? You want to know how many times I prayed my asthma go away? How many times I laid my hands on the TV because Benny said, the healing? I'm like, dude, come on. Let's go, baby. Do the TV. Get me, man. I'm done with this asthma. Man, I still got my inhaler. You want to see it? It ain't happened. Now, is that is that Benny's fault? No. Could, could I blame God? You ain't listening to me. Why three times? I'll offer you three of my conclusions. First, Paul's stupid, and he can't hear. So he has to do a number of times just to get through. I'm not so sure that is. The second one is maybe Paul quit. Man, he ain't listening to me. Forget it, man. I don't think that's true either. Third answer is maybe Paul settled. And what I mean by settle is not compromise. Maybe Paul was quieted. Maybe the answer to the prayer moved him from panic and personal uh, torment because he can't handle the assault to a place where his spirit was quieted. And God gave him something, a word or a sense or an awareness of grace that he could go, for real? Okay, all right. You got me? sufficient it's okay for me to act and behave in a disqualifying fashion because you got me you got me i don't have to clean this up you got me i don't have to make this illness go it might kill me you got me i don't think i'm smart enough because every time they come at me when i try to speak to them in public i'm stuttering you got me do you know the last time I, I gave in to that, that temptation. You got me? You all right? Sufficient? I contend that the thorns, the blessing of the thorns is are those things that disqualify our ministry. Only if we're invested in the idea that the removal of thorns are the, are the only way that we get the opportunity or we get a message, or we're able to persuade others. I don't think that's true. Thorns are just the opposite. They show us we aren't, and we don't, and we can't. Paul says, Jesus said to me. So at some point, the comfort was Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So that Christ's power may rest on me. Is what he says later. But first he says my grace. That word grace. The Greek word grace. It's a New Testament word. It's this notion of having 
a position with the Father based on no credibility on your own. Solely graced on the credibility of Christ. You can't stand before the Father because you have the right clothes or the right position or the right pocket or the right parenting, pedagogy, or the right learning line. You stand before the Father as his son or daughter because of what Jesus did and what Jesus proclaimed. It says you are already clean by my word I've spoken. That's a crazy passage. In the middle of the disciples quabbling, he says you're already qualified. He says it before he goes to the cross. That's really interesting. You're already clean. How many of you struggle with filth? How many struggle with filth? And believe filth disqualifies you. Christ says, you're already clean by the word I've spoken. Not by your effort to clean up. Not by your effort to straighten out. Not by your effort to get rid of. But by the word you have spoken. The Christ is the one who says to the Father, amen. Uh, Randy, that's, that's my guy, man. I didn't tell you about him. He's at the door. And the Father says, come on in, man. Have him come to the den. I'll talk with him. And Randy goes in, not because he's, he's all that. He goes in because Jesus said, hey, man, my father wants to talk to you. He's he waiting. He loves to talk to you. And Randy walks in. Now, you ain't never seen Randy do this, but he does. <laughs> he walks in, and the father, man, puts his arm around him and says, I couldn't. I couldn't. I've been waiting for you to come, son. Where you been? Based on thorns. Grace qualifies, administrates, advances, sustains you in this walk where Jesus promises poverty, mourning, meekness, thirst and hunger, provides mercy, purity of heart, encourages and empowers peacemakers. And promises persecution. Grace qualifies, administrates, advances, and sustains. What are you leaning on? For real? You're going to lean on your capacity to memorize the scripture? Really? Your ability to get on your knees? Really? Your attendance at church? Really? Your good deeds? Really? You better be relying on access to the Father given to you by Christ. That's the ticket. Pure and found. And are you going to spend time standing outside the door of the Father's den because you got stuff in your life? Really? You're going to disqualify yourself because you think you are doing it perfect or because you ain't getting what you want. I can't go in. Really? The Father, the Father's saying Come on in. I love you for free. And I'm empowering you to a ministry of the gospel. To be a, a law buster. How many want to be a law buster? Right? That's what we're called to do. And somehow your law busting is a fragrance to those who are hungering and thirsting for a way 
Let grace do what it does. Qualify, administrate, advance, and sustain. Amen? All right, dude. Just that was for you, man. Come on up, worship team. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for speaking a word to us, and not just speaking it, but sending it in physical, visual form. Sending your son to communicate what a relationship with you is like and what it's based on. Nobody would have filled in the blank like Jesus did. And because he did, it completely changes the way we think about approaching you, the way we think about our life. Uh, we don't have to run away from the things that would seem to discredit. They're not fun, but neither are they disqualifying. We come to you as we are. We accept that as such. You would have us fear hypocrisy and judgment, not imperfection. We pray that we would hear Jesus' words and, and that he'd help us to know how to apply them to our life. Thank you for saying them clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>